Well, I invite you to open your copies of God's holy and inspired word with me to two texts. The first text is Matthew chapter 10, where we will read verses 28 to 33. Matthew chapter 10, verses 28 through 33. When you have that, stick your finger there and then turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 where we will read verses 1 through 13. We are taking a break from the Sermon on the Mount today because as I was preparing for today's service with regards to receiving those who are coming to profess their faith, it hit me that I had never actually spoken to the church from Scripture with regards to this this privilege and this responsibility that we have in being a covenant community and what that means uh, for our families, what it means for our children, what it means for those who long to respond to the promises of God um, with professing their own faith in Jesus Christ. So we are going to look at two passages today to put this into context as all of this is to lead us to to these professions of faith and to lead us to renew our confession of Christ when we come to the Lord's Supper. Romans chapter 10, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, meaning the Jews, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And now over to Matthew chapter 10. Jesus speaking to us tells us, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? 
and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, through your Spirit, speak to our hearts and our minds and our wills this morning to once again be reaffirmed in not only our confession of Jesus Christ, but very importantly, in his confession of us to you. Help us to listen and help us to open our hearts that we may respond with devotion. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In Romans chapter 10, Paul is addressing uh, the heart of what he has, the argument that he has been building throughout this letter. Now, we haven't been working through it, so I'm going to give it to you really quick. What is happening with the, the letter to the Romans is that there was a, a church or a series of house churches that had been started in Rome. But then when Nero kicked the Jews out of Rome, those churches became dominated by Gentile believers. Before, they were a mixture of Jew and Gentile with, with Jewish believers being the dominant influence but then when they were kicked out, the Gentile believers were the only ones who were part of the church uh, or the churches in Rome for a time. When the Jewish believers were able to return to Rome and went back into their churches, they discovered that the culture of the churches was quite different. The way the church felt, the way the church conducted itself, the values of the church, the emphases of the church, the practices of the church were no longer dominated by the Jewish culture and, and the Jewish believers who were still striving to embody the old covenant realities even within the new covenant community. The result was there was tension. There was some infighting. There was those who wanted to emphasize that to be truly saved, you had to look Jewish. To be truly saved, you had to pursue the law in a particular way. And, and to be saved, you had to not eat certain things. Uh, you were supposed to keep certain calendar days. And all these different cultural things that were bound up to the Old Covenant were wreaking havoc within these churches that were made up of Jew and Gentile. And throughout the letter, what Paul has been trying to help us to see is that there is no one who is righteous. For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Does that mean that God's promises to Israel in times past does it mean these promises have failed? 
Does it, does it mean that, that God is not being faithful to what he has said? Does it, does it mean that there is reason now for Jewish uh, believers to, to feel abandoned or, or to feel like they've had the rug pulled out from underneath them or to feel like God has been tricking them? And Paul says, no. There is always and has always been something special in being part of the covenant people of God. He says back in, in Romans uh, 9 that, that it is the, the Israelites who received the covenants. It is the Israelites who had God come to them and put his divine name upon them. It was Yahweh who took them as his treasure, and not because they were big, not because they were powerful, not because they were strong or influential, and certainly not because they were righteous, holy, or worthy. He took them to himself because he had determined to do it before the foundations of the world to use a covenant people to draw some from every tribe, tongue, and nation into an eternal relationship with him. And so to grow up in the covenant community was special. To grow up in the covenant community meant that you were different from the Gentiles. Those who were in the covenant community had received the sign of the covenant. And once it had been given to that first generation, that sign was being passed down from generation to generation to generation as the sign and the seal was to point people to the faithfulness of God. That he will do what he has promised. To be part of the covenant people meant that you were within that people where God had come where he had freed from bondage and slavery in Egypt, where he had manifested himself in the pillar of fire by day, uh, by, pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, where God had brought his people to Mount Sinai, where his voice thundered from the mountain in order to give them his words, to call them into this relationship and to set his name upon them and to sanctify them through the application of sacrificial blood, that God was doing all of these things. And to be raised in the covenant community meant you were raised with a knowledge that God was personal, that the creator of the universe had a name and it was Yahweh, and that you had the record of what he had done. You had the record of his own interpretation and explanation of what he had done. That you had the light that was needed to lead not only yourself, but the nations out of darkness. This is what it meant. And it was a privilege to be raised in the nurture and admonition of Yahweh according to his scriptures and in reliance upon the sacrificial system. But does this mean that every single Israelite that was born, did it mean that they were saved? 
The answer is no. The answer is that God from the very beginning always required active faith and repentance. That everyone, regardless if you were in the covenant community or out of the covenant community, you were to respond to the activities and the words of Yahweh by entrusting yourself to him. Letting go of your own self-determination and embracing a king. This is what has always been required. The problem within the covenant community leading up into the first century when Paul is writing is that those who were part of the covenant community by way of their birth, they thought that their birth was an automatic end. And what they taught was, well, you get into the covenant by the grace of your birth. You stay in the covenant as you pursue the law, and as you follow the sacrificial system. And so it was presumed that if you were born into the covenant, you were saved, and that there wasn't an active faith that was required of you. And, And the way that that worked itself out then, in the first century, in these churches that are now made up of Jewish believers and Gentile believers, is that there is conflict over what does it look like to have and practice faith. What does God require of us? More importantly, what does God require of those who are born into the covenant? And what Paul has said very clearly throughout the book of Romans, is what is required of everyone born in the covenant is what was required of the father of the covenant, Abraham himself, who when the covenant was initiated to him, believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. We never move beyond Abraham. Whether you are born in the covenant and you are raised in the privileges of the covenant, raised around the means of grace, where you get to come Sunday after Sunday and you hear the Bible read, you hear the Bible proclaimed, you see the Bible set before you in baptism and the Lord's Supper, that when you have that, that heritage of being one who was born into the covenant, it is an amazing privilege. And it comes with all kinds of of opportunities and, and, and amazing things that you get to experience. But you are still called to individually exercise a personal faith in God. And in the new covenant that is found in one place, And that is in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What Paul says to a church that is reeling from all of these cultural difficulties and problems and and the infighting and the bad theology and the bad expectations and all the confusion, what he says very clearly to the covenant people that you are, 
are to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. This is true for those who grew up Jewish, who spent time uh, being raised in the old covenant administration of the covenant of grace. It also is true for those who grew up Gentile, who did not grow up around the covenants or the word or the means of grace. But it also is absolutely necessary for those who are growing up with the birthright of the new covenant as well. That when children are born to new covenant professors of Jesus Christ, they get to be raised in the midst of the means of grace and the communion of faith. This is why when our children are baptized, God signified and sealed in the sign of the new covenant of baptism, God makes promises. And when our children are baptized, the parents who, who, who have already professed faith in Jesus Christ, and because of their faith, their child is receiving the covenant sign and seal, that they make promises. But are they the only ones who make promises? No. Because when our children are baptized, the congregation also makes promises whether it's the parents, whether it's the church, that we are going to manifest God's promises to our children and providing them a godly example, setting before them the truth of what God has done and calling them to confess with their mouths what they believe in their heart. This is why in the Reformed Church, profession of faith is so special. Because this isn't something that has come out of the blue. This isn't a situation in which one of our covenant children have have just kind of all of a sudden decided, you know what, I think I, I want to follow Jesus, and so and so you know I'll, I'll try. No, what has happened is a faithful God ministering to his, through His means of grace, through parents, through the church fellowship. In leading those who have received the sign and seal of what he will do if they believe, who are brought to that faith by the grace of the Holy Spirit, and who are called to respond in owning the covenant for themselves. What we are doing here today with this profession of faith is is we're not only having courage, but we, we are giving the, the, the children 
We are giving you, the congregation, the opportunity to come together and acknowledging that they want to be held accountable to something new. That they want to receive the full benefits, privileges, responsibilities, and duties of the covenant of grace. And they are telling you, you can count on me, but I need your help. A status is changing as they are no longer standing upon the confession of their parents, but are now standing upon their confession of Jesus Christ. And the reason that we do this publicly and while we do, why we do this within the covenant community where the change of status takes place publicly is because following Jesus Christ as Lord is not easy. When Paul says here in Romans 10 that they are to confess with their mouths. Part of the background here is that uh, in Rome, especially, but throughout the Roman Empire, confessing was not something that was limited or unique to the covenant people. In fact, at, at this day and time, uh, if you were in the Roman Empire, but especially if you were in Rome, you knew that there was a growing requirement that you had to confess that Caesar is Lord. And you had to uh, uh, go to either one of your trade guilds or you had to go through uh, a government opportunity, but you were required to go and to take incense, throw it on to a, to a, a sacrificial fire and say, Caesar is Lord. Now, because Rome at that time was, had so many different religions that were part of, of their normal way of existence, guess what? You didn't have to mean it. You didn't have to actually be devoted to Caesar. To put it another way, you didn't have to embrace anything in your heart to throw that incense on the fire and say the words confessing at this point in time was seen as a merely public act that had nothing inward connected to it. But if you were going to follow Jesus the Christ, what you were doing is saying Caesar is not Lord. Caesar is not curios. Jesus is curios. Jesus is Lord. One of the things that this, one of the implications here was if you were going to confess Christ, when you had to stand before that sacrificial fire, you were going to have to choose to not throw the incense into the fire and say, Caesar is Lord. And what the early church did was they went through this period where these early believers were forced into the position of standing there 
And when they were required to do it, they said no, and they said, Jesus is Lord. They had confessed Christ before the church, which is what had led them into communicant membership in the church. But they also confessed Christ to those outside the church. This was not easy. This was not like growing up in America right now where where you can just say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus because you want to have some of the good things that come from communicant membership where maybe your heart's not devoted to it and where it doesn't cost you anything. It becomes very easy to say that you believe in Christ when it doesn't cost you. What Paul is telling us is that the confession of Christ is inherently costly because it cost Christ his life and it calls for ours. Jesus has told us, if you are going to follow me, you are to take up your cross to follow me. You are being called to say, Jesus is Lord, and to mean it from your heart so that you are unwilling to say that anything else is Lord. This is about devotion. It is about a desire to be counted among the faithful of God. And to do so knowing that it is going to be difficult, it is going to be hard. Now here for us, typically, that difficulty comes because of the enemies that we face within our hearts. That even as we said in Sunday school this morning, even though we've been freed from the penalty of sin, though we've been freed from the power of sin, we have not yet been freed from, the, from sin's presence. Our old nature is still within us. Its desires are still within us. Its, its habits and its patterns are still operative within us. We still experience the, the influence of the evil one. We still experience the pressing of the world, the flesh, and the devil. But we are called, if we profess faith in Jesus Christ, to confess Christ before the church, but to also confess him in front of the mirror and then to confess him when we go out into public. And this is not always going to be hard. And so one of the things that it is absolutely vital for us always to remember is that our confession of Christ stands on the firm foundation of his confession of us. To trust in Jesus Christ is not only to trust the work that he has done in the past, it is to trust the work that he does every day as our heavenly high priest who pleads the benefits of his righteousness on our behalf to the Heavenly Father.
And this is why we confess our sins freely. Because we know the sin that we are confessing is a sin that is not only forgiven, but that the one who has forgiven is also presenting us blameless. He is presenting us holy. Not because of you. Not because of how well you do in living out your confession. He does it because this is part of his ministry as our Lord. Is that we are never left to ourselves. And one of the ways that we know that we are never left to ourselves is because look around you. Now that's not a Presbyterian look around you. Look around you. There are people here. You have people on your left and your right. You have people in front of you. And you have people behind you. And look on the table. You have bread and a cup in which Jesus is telling you today, I am in your midst. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You are part of my body. You are part of the bread, but you are also part of this church. And beloved, every time we come to the Lord's table, we are renewing our confession of Christ because we know that he is confessing us. And this is where our confidence comes from. This is where our comfort is found. And this is why we confess Christ not one time, but we confess him over and over and over and over. And by the way, just in case you hadn't picked up on it, listen to the membership promises that will be made today, and then listen when I fence the table. What you will find is that every time we receive the Lord's Supper, I put your membership vows back in front of you. So that in receiving the supper afresh, you are renewing the vows that you have made. You are renewing your confession of Christ. And we, as the covenant community, are renewing our confession of Christ together. Beloved, it is a beautiful thing to be raised in the covenant and to have all of the privileges to have all of the wonderful blessings. But we do not and we cannot think that that means that I don't have to confess Christ for myself. And when you do confess Christ for yourself, you do not do so as one standing alone. You do so as one standing in the midst of a shared life in Jesus Christ, where if your faith is listening well, you will hear him confessing you before his heavenly Father. Let's pray. Our heavenly Father, we do praise you for the amazing grace 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that all you ask of us is to receive and rest upon Christ. All that He has done, all that He has completed so that in the freedom we have in our new natures and through the empowerment of of the grace of the Holy Spirit, we can live lives of gratitude where we are cultivating and practicing and promoting the righteousness that you've gifted to us as we serve as ambassadors of the righteousness of Christ to everyone. Help us, Lord, to start with ourselves. Help us, Lord, to do this within the covenant community and help us, Lord, to powerfully take this out into the world as they are chasing down one one dark path after another because they've been made for something more, but they are refusing to receive what you are providing them through your Son. Father, help us indeed to take our confession of Christ seriously. And may that seriousness be expressed in a faithful, boring life of repentance and faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.